Sean Lovejoy with us today, and I just want to say a couple of things about him. He is the uh, the founder and the CEO of Courage to Lead, and uh, he's a, a coach to leaders all over the globe. Um, man, look, he's, he's been a real estate developer. He's been a pastor. He's, he's, a, he's a husband, a father. Um, I think he had a stint as an astronaut. I don't know what else he has not done in life, but uh, but we're really blessed to have him. Um, he's going to be sharing about his book that, that has just recently come out, and uh, he's here to share with us. I want you guys to lean in. He is a genuine person. He's from Birmingham. He's from the South, so it's okay. Like, you could trust him, okay? <laughs> all right. But uh, but I want you guys, all three locations, come on, can we stand on our feet and welcome to the stage, Sean Lovejoy. Yeah. You can be seated. Well, good morning. Welcome to church. Pastor Jordan told you a little bit about me. I, I refer to myself as a spiritual entrepreneur. Um, I was a real estate developer in my early 20s, making a six-figure income. Started teaching a college and career Sunday school class, Pastor Jordan. I don't think I told you that ever. And God brought revival to our church and to the college ministry and to my heart and calls me out of that into vocational ministry. Moved to Atlanta in 1999, started a church with four people, grew to a little over 3,000 people. In the meantime, realized I was like an executive, an executive trapped in a pastor's body the whole time. And we started coaching leaders on how to have a healthy ministry, their culture, their team, their systems. We realized they're actually biblical principles today. They're also scalable to the marketplace in terms of what it means to have a healthy organization. It's a healthy culture. It's a healthy team. It's a healthy system. I know churches that are doing contemporary music that are dying. And I know churches that are doing contemporary music that are thriving. I know churches who wear suits every Sunday and they're thriving. And I know many that are dying. Anybody know any of those? You know, it has to do with the culture. It has to do with the team. It has to do with the systems. It's a biblical idea. And so I realized at some point, like, I'm a pretty good pastor, but I'm a really good coach and consultant to both ministry and marketplace leaders. Handed off my megachurch about five years ago to pursue this full-time with my life and my ministry. Now we have coaches like in Los Angeles and Chicago and Indianapolis and dotted down into the south all over the place. And we work with ministry and marketplace leaders all over the place. So I've experienced some measure of success you know, the way the world defines it. But let me tell you what's most gratifying to me, what makes me feel most successful, okay? I think we've got a picture of my family um, to show you guys today. Um, my, 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 my main crew, uh, talk, speaking of marrying up, Pastor Jordan, uh, I'm thankful that love is blind. I'm just gonna say that. And uh, my wife is blind. Um, and um, not physically, uh, but um, she, she sees me as attractive, and that's a miracle of God, okay? <laughs> and our three children took after their mother, and uh, so I've got a 20-year-old, a 16-year-old, and a 15-year-old. Let's just pray together right now. <laughs> Actually, it's, 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 it's always volatile. It's my pastor, Pastor Chris Hodges, says up at Church of the Highlands, it's always volatile when you have teenagers. Can I get a witness? You know, but God's been good. God's been good. If you want to talk about what makes me feel most successful... Yesterday morning, we actually had serve day at our church, and we didn't have a hurricane. And, uh, and my two daughters, they're both interning at Church of the Highlands. They got up and left the house for serve day before I did. And I went out with my son and my wife yesterday, and we laid sod in the name of Jesus. 
yesterday at a, at a, at a girl's home there in Metro Birmingham. That makes me feel successful. And you know how it goes, men, women, when it's not going well at home, it doesn't matter how successful Facebook views you. You know, you don't feel very successful. And the truth is the reason why we love working with a lot of marketplace leaders, if, if, if you can feel very successful at home, but if you don't feel like you're being successful at work and you're being recognized and you're being validated, you're being valued and it's a fun place to be. And frankly, you spend as much time or more around those people than you do your own family. And we want to see a synchronization because the church is going to leave here tomorrow and go to work. And we're still called to be the church. Did you know this? When we leave the building, when we leave the room. So my question to you, I really want to raise today as we unpack the rest of this series is what is success? Do you ever think about that? Is it, is it socioeconomic status? You know, is it based upon where, what you wear? Is it based upon where you live? You know, is it making it to Bioview over there? Is that what they call it? You know, is, 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 it, is it how many Facebook friends and how many Instagram likes you get? If, if you squash on people and you cheat and lie and steal your way to the top, is that success? And if you burn the midnight oil, you never take a day off and you neglect your family, is that success? What is success? And if you want to know what I think, I believe that a lot of the anxiety, stress, the burdens we bear, the, the, the disillusionment, the discouragement, sometimes the depression that many of us are facing today has to do with the fact that we have exchanged God's definition of success for the world's definition of success. And if you do that, it will wear you out. And I want to make sure in this world of social media, and media that screams to you what success is really all about, I want to bring you in to Jesus's definition of success today. How Jesus should affect our view of success. Is anybody interested in that? Yes. Okay, again, about half of you. We're going to work on this other half of you, okay? I want to talk about that. Turn with me in your Bibles, or I'll put it on the screen. John chapter 15, that's what I'm going to be reading today. I want to look at John chapter 15, verses 5 through 13. Once again, I see the framework in the Gospels of how Jesus views success and how he wants us to view success in our lives. Look at this with me. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much. What's that next word? Fruit. Apart from me, you can do. What's that next word? Nothing. You ought to circle those two words. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. <clears throat> and, <clears throat> excuse me, and such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. They're useless. If you remain in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you because you're not going to be praying selfishly. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much what? fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. It's not just something you believe, it's something you live out. And then he quotes, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. And I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life 
for one's friends. Now, many of you have heard at least bits and pieces of this passage, but it's important in terms of what we're talking about and it has profound implications if you're paying attention, okay? First of all, some framework, okay? John 15 comes right after John 14 and believe it or not, Jesus wasn't praying in chapter references here. We just made it easy to understand and read as a congregation. This is just a continuation of Jesus' final sermon before he is arrested and is crucified. Okay, now Jesus knows this. One of the last times he's gonna be speaking publicly to people and this is like his greatest message ever. He's held everything till now to put it all together in one sermon. It's in this sermon in John chapter 14, Jesus says, hey, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go, it's, it, I'm going I'm to build a mansion for you that you may be where I am. You familiar with that passage? It's in this sermon, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You ever heard that before? It's in this message, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit, the comforter, for those bad days we have in our lives, when tropical depressions blow up in the Gulf and other times in our lives when we experience those same things. And this is just a continuation as the intensity and the culmination of this sermon that he began in John chapter 15. And it's in this passage, he comes to this framework of what it really means to be successful. I wanna give you four today. I wanna give you four different ways Jesus should affect our view of success I'm gonna lay them out for you and then I'm gonna show you where they are in the gospels, okay? Number one, our success is first measured through our purpose. In Jesus's eyes, from his perspective, our success is measured through our purpose. Look back at John 15, verse five. I'll put it on the screen for you. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And now most theologians believe Jesus literally has in mind, he used illustrations and using little teaching points like this, like your pastor and other days, not new, Jesus preached sermons like this. And he said, you know what? It's like this. I'm the vine, you're the branches, and if you're healthy, if you remain connected to the main vine, I'm going to produce the fruit. It's beautiful. It's life. It's vitality. It's growth. The seeds are gonna spread out to other people. It was an illustration Jesus was giving about how he defines his purpose for our very life. Jesus is saying, I am that one thing. I am that one person that pulls everything in order together, pulls everyone in order together, and I'm building the church. And when I build the church this way, the gates of hell won't even prevail against it. And he said, but if, the most powerful word in this passage is the word if. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. It's, it's out of our relationship with Jesus that we find our purpose by staying connected to the vine. Notice in the verse, it doesn't say anything about us producing fruit. It is not our responsibility to go and produce fruit for Jesus. He says, your purpose is to remain in me. And if you remain in me, if you stay connected vitally to me, then I will produce the fruit in you. In other words, Jesus, when it comes to purpose in our life, he values not fruitfulness, but faithfulness. Think about the great commandment. The Pharisees are sitting on the edge of their seat. They're asking Jesus. They had come up with 600 different commands. You talk about wearing people out. Listen, if you're not a religious person today, I want to encourage you. Jesus was not religious. 
In fact, his most harsh statements were for religious people. Religious people will put burdens and laws on people. All right? Jesus came to set us free from all of that. And he simp- Pharisees complicate things. Jesus simplifies things. So the Pharisees have come up with these 600 and some odd laws. They're like, Jesus, what's the most important thing? What does he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Just stay connected to me. Just stay connected to the vine. That's all you have to do. And then he says, the second's like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these commandments. You know what Jesus' purpose is for you? You know what? I can tell you absolute certain today what God's will is for your life today, okay? That you love him. You know what's cool about that? You can love God in any job. You can love God in Mississippi, okay? In South Mississippi, on the Gulf. You can love God in a blue-collar environment or a white-collar environment. You can love God when you're poor when you're rich. You can love God when you're iPhone or Android. Okay? Whether you know anything about Instagram or not, okay? Whether you have an Apple Watch, a Rolex, or a Target special, you can love God. You can love God. You can know him. Doesn't that sort of set us free? That we can please God in any and every situation. Wherever we are, whatever we're doing, we can be faithful to God. Also, I researched this. It's scientifically true, by the way. Did you know that when it comes to a grapevine, there are no two grapes exactly alike? No two grapes exactly alike. See, a grape's purpose is not to look like the other grapes. A grape's purpose is just to make sure it stays connected to the vine and become the very best version of itself. You know what our responsibility is? Not to be like somebody else. Not to keep up with the Joneses. Who are the Joneses anyway? Have you ever met those guys? I mean, we buy things to impress people we don't know and we really don't like. Think about it. And try to keep up with some fake Facebook life and it's wearing us out. And trying to keep all these commandments and laws and be a good person. And we lay our heads down on the pillow day and said, I thought a bad thought. And I criticized Pastor Jordan in my mind. And, you know, I did this and I did that. And we we, we lay our heads down on our beds every night. We feel like failures. My wife can be a perfect mom every minute of every day and lose it at 929 at night. (laughs) You're laughing because you're guilty, ladies. And she will lay her head down and feel like a total failure for the whole day. Ladies, identify with that? Because we put expectations on ourselves that Jesus didn't place on us. Jesus never expected perfection from you. He died on the cross because none of us could be that and set us free. And he says we can wear the breastplate of righteousness put over our hearts to guard our hearts so we can live in freedom and be in perfect people. Is that good news or what? That's good news. And so our responsibility is not to, to be like somebody else. It's to become the best version of ourselves. You know what God's will is for your life? Be the best version of you. 
And here's the good news. Jesus taught this in the parable of the talents. He said there's a five-talent person, there's a two-talent person, there's a one-talent person. Some of you I'm about to really set free, okay? How many of you are honest enough to admit, you, and you're self-aware enough to, to admit, you just may not be the sharpest knife in the drawer? Come on, show of hands right here in, in church, okay? All right, so I feel like that, okay? I'm from Odenville, Alabama, okay? Population 500. I, I boast about the fact that I graduated 13th in my class. We only graduated with 64. Okay, I'm a good one and a half talent person. Okay, I'm from Alabama. Okay, we're 48th on every list. Thank God for Louisiana, Mississippi. You know, <laughs> we're all fighting right there for the bottom. You know what I'm saying? Well, we're the best of the worst, baby. That's me. Okay, and I travel all over the world and I speak to leaders. Like I'm a constant overachiever. I'm a one and a half, and I operated a two and a half. Like I'm an overachiever. So think about this. If you can identify with me and you're like a one or two talent person, we're not responsible for that much. <laughs> I sort of feel sad for five talent people in the house. <laughs> you guys are responsible for a lot. True? Am I speaking the truth? It's the gospel. Jesus says, you know, it doesn't matter whether you got five, two, or one. You know what your responsibility is? Be connected. Be faithful. If you just got a little, you just be faithful with it. I might entrust you with more, but if you're always criticizing and critiquing and comparing and condemning, everybody's got a little bit more than you've got, burying the one you got, you're going to lose what you have. You're going to wither away from the vine. I might as well throw you away. You're no good. You're useless. But if you'll be faithful, that's your purpose. Are you encouraged? So we measure our success through our purpose. Number two, our success is measured through our priorities. Our success is measured through our priorities. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This verse is not true, you know. It's not true. Because I, I can do some things without Jesus. I, 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 can, I can make a six-figure income without Jesus. I've done it. I, I could pastor a church some Sundays without Jesus. I've done it. I've been very successful at times in the world's eyes and not successful in Jesus' eyes. I actually have discovered I can do a lot without Jesus. But Jesus goes on to qualify it later. I didn't read it earlier. Jump all the way down to verse 16 in this passage. I'll put it on the screens. He qualifies what he's talking about. What is he talking about when you can't do nothing? You can do nothing can't do anything. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you can go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. See, I, I can do a lot of things without Jesus. It's just nothing of eternal significance, nothing that he values. I can build my kingdom. I can build my thing. I can grow a crowd. I can command thousands. I can have a huge social media audience and not be successful in Jesus' eyes. That's why Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be taken to you. So Jesus measures success through our priorities. He goes back, going back to verse eight, he says, this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. He said, there should be something that people observe about your lives that demonstrate that you're staying connected to me. It's that order of priority. And it affects the way we look and the way we live. 
Jesus should affect what I do with my time, how I spend my time, and who I spend my time with. Listen, think about this. We created the 40-hour work week. All right, God set us up to work in a completely different rhythm. I don't believe in balance. I've never met a balanced person. Have you? Okay, I don't even think Jesus was balanced. All right, the, the Bible actually advocates this idea of living in rhythm. Okay, when we, this is why we were created by God, okay, to, to work sun up to sundown six days a week. Okay, in biblical times, they got up at sunrise. Who are my early risers? Okay. And they, went, they didn't have Netflix, so they went to bed when it got dark. Okay? And then they got up the next morning. Six days in a row, they worked 12 hours a day. Who are my mathematicians? What's six times 12? 72-hour work week. Does that encourage or depress you? Okay? That's how, that's how much we were made to work. Work is not a curse. This is before the fall. It's a blessing to be a steward of God's creation, provide for our families and work the soil, all of that. But then he says the seventh day, Sabbath, means to cease striving. Do you ever do that? Probably the most violated command in the Bible, if you want my opinion. We don't know how to stop striving. We don't know how to be still and know that he's God. We don't know how to go to work, bring our best, give our all, but then have a daily finish line. When we close that and we go home and we be fully present. You know what success is? It's being fully where your feet are. It's being fully present. My pastor says one of the sexiest things, men, you can say to your wife is, and then what happened, baby? <laughs> I really do care. I'm really present. I'm really paying attention. I'm really be listening and not be backing toward the door or on ESPN app, whatever I'm doing. And so in my early 20s, my wife called me on the carpet for being a workaholic. And I repented of that. And I decided there's gonna be a daily finish line and a weekly finish line in my house, okay? Now I remember we had two girls come along and then 16 months later, we had a boy surprise come into the home. I got a boy the third time. And I remember just walking through my door just a few days after Paul had been born and I literally said out loud, this stinks. This is hard. Just how difficult it was. Who's got three kids? Okay, four kids. Okay, we ought to pray for you now. You know, it's just, and, and then they, you know, preschool is uniquely a challenge because like they need you every waking moment. Amen. You know, and then, then you think it's going to get easier when they become teenagers. Oh, no, 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 no. We call it girl drama at our house, you know, and boy drama. And so there have been many, many times in my career over the last 15 or 20 years where I've known I need to switch from CEO Sean, senior pastor of a megachurch Sean, whatever it might be at the time, to dad and father and husband. Statistics tell us that if you work outside the home, your first seven minutes, the first seven minutes interactions with your family members dictate the tone and temperature for the rest of the evening. Seven minutes. Convicting, you think? So I first heard that statistic a few years ago. And so many, many times since then, I've like driven up in the garage and I'm like, Lord, I'm going in. <laughs> you know, <laughs> help me, you know. I do not know what awaits me behind that door, you know. 
Because, but I know like people need me. You know, success is being loved and respected by those closest to you. Not those on social media. Those closest to you. And so you got to decide whether you're going to prioritize your time in ways that honor Jesus. Prioritize your talents. You got to prioritize your talents in a way that honors God. Bring your all at work, but bring your all at church. Bring your all at home. You utilize your gifts and your talents to serve all those different environments in your life and always bring your best. Work hard, play hard, rest hard. Take the same passion to be father and husband and serve your wife, serve your, your, your husband as you do serving your friends. This is the way God wants to stop right. And then, of course, your treasure. And yes, 10% belongs to God, but 100% belongs to God. God cares more about what you do with 100% of your finances than he does with 10%. Every financial decision is a spiritual decision. We're just stewards. We're managing it. These are how we prioritize our life. So we measure our success through our priorities. Are you with me so far? Number three, our success is measured through our passion. Our success is measured through our passion. He says in verse 11, John 15, he says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And I think followers of Jesus ought to be filled with joy. We ought to have passion. Let's, let's talk about the church for a minute, okay? You go back to the Old Testament. It's funny to me, Pastor, how they talk about, you know, drums being in the church or, you know, contemporary music and holy rollers lifting their hands. This is something that's thousands and thousands of years old. It's not a contemporary church movement. In the Psalms, they're clapping their hands. They're making a joyful noise. They're lifting their, they're dancing in church. I don't know how you were raised, but I was taught growing up in church, you know, here's, here's a good Christian, okay? Don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't kiss those girls who do, you know. <laughs> yeah, you have to say that in the South. And then, and then rock music was in there. And then, you know, all of that was your list. And if you didn't do all those things, you were a good Christian. How many of you were raised like that? And when you come into church, you shut up in the name of Jesus, how I many of you know, can identify with that kind of raising, okay? The problem is it's not biblical. It's not biblical. Jesus taught us that Pharisees are the ones who look like the prunes, shriveled up grapes. You know, disciples, man, they're full, full of life. They're full of passion. They've got joy in their heart, joy in their soul. Man, the gospel is good news. Did you know this? Did you know we've been set free from our sin? Did you know we've been set free from addictions and broken and we have freedom and our marriage has been put back together and we've been forgiven for a lot of junk that nobody in this room will ever know and we thank God for that. And there's a lot to celebrate. There's a lot to celebrate. And yet, 85% of churches in North America are plateaued and declining in attendance. Why is that? I think I know. I've taught on a lot of their stages. I look out over the crowd. I see dead people. <laughs> see one right back there right now. No, I'm just kidding. I see the walking dead. I see people who don't have any life, no passion, no excitement. They get excited at the football game or 
shopping event on Black Friday. When they come in church or when they go to work out to be salt and light, they act like prunes. And we're hurting the church. We're hurting the church. Music's not the problem. Preaching's not the problem. We are the problem. We got to get some passion about us. We got to get some passion about us. And we can't let little things that would normally like rob our joy, suck the passion out of us, suck the passion out of us. We can't allow that to happen because joy is a fruit of the spirit. We have a, we have two black, we have a black lab, a golden lab. And then my daughter is home from school. She's interning at our church and she brought her dog home. So we got three dogs now. So I don't have grandkids yet, but I have a grand puppy. Okay, Luna. And let me tell you, I'm going to be a great papa. Because Luna and I, like we have a special bond. She loves her papa. And she's a mutt, rescue dog. She's about this big. But she's beautiful to me. Okay, she's my grandpuppy. And she loves me. And I trust her. Now, she had chewed up some things around the house. And um, puppies will do that, you know? And so it's my grandpuppy. I kind of overlooked it and we were okay. But we had decided when we leave the house and it's storming outside, something like this, we let our labs come inside. So when, when, our, when Luna kind of moved on, we're like, what do we do with Luna? Do we let her in? She's kind of chewed some things up. We had this little crate we decided to start putting her in just in case she didn't get crazy and start chewing up something in the house. So about a month ago, I guess it's been about six weeks ago, our family was getting ready to go somewhere and Trish said, hey, it's going to be storming. We're, we're going to be going like four or five hours. And she said, um, go downstairs, let the dogs inside and put Luna in her, in her crate. And so I went downstairs and I let the dogs in. I'm about to put Luna in her crate. And my grandpuppy looked up to me with those little eyes. <laughs> and I thought to myself, I can't, I can't, you know, put her in there for four or five hours. Like I'm, I'm going to let her not be in her crate. And so, but I didn't tell anybody <laughs> that I'd made this call. And so we all went up and got in the car and we left and um, we had a great time. We were gone four or five hours. So we're like, we're like 10 minutes from home and Trisha speaks up my wife and she says, boy, I hope Luna's been okay in her crate. <laughs> I don't know, man, you ever have that moment where you're like, do I come clean or do I, <laughs> do I hope this works itself out? <clears throat> all the guilty men are laughing right now. <clears throat> And so I, I spoke up. I came clean. I said, well, I, said, well I, I actually didn't put her in her crate. You ever been driving, just feel the heat from the passenger seat? She didn't say anything, but it was hot and, and very quiet and very quiet. About 10 minutes, we didn't speak a word. All I said was, I trust Luna. So... But the longer I thought about it, I had about nine minutes now to think about it. <clears throat> I'm like, man, if she chewed something up, I'm going to be in big trouble. So we park in the garage. I kind of hop out quickly, <laughs> run over to the door, you know, and I open the door and I've got a picture of what I saw. Yeah. God is my witness. I closed the door real quick and turned around. I said, baby, always say baby, man. Baby, she's chewed up the couch. I mean, could you imagine anything worse than that? I said, it's worse than you would think. 
I said, don't, don't go crazy when you see this. Just stay calm. Literally, I did. And we opened the door to that, okay? The sofa was two months old, ladies. Yes, it's leather, okay? Could it be any worse? And they had, all three of them, all three of them had like stuff and stuck all over them and then, um, <clears throat> and um, to be honest with you, like my wife and I, we have the same Myers-Briggs profile. Okay, so you've heard opposites attract. What do ex people exactly alike do? You know what I'm saying? It's like a magnet. You try to turn around and, you know, so only through Christ have we had 25 years of amazing marriage. We don't fight. It's more spiritual than that. We call it intense fellowship. <laughs> Anybody identify with what I'm talking about? Yeah. We've never thrown anything, you know, but we're really good with words. And uh, I just knew, man, this is going to be bad. And honestly, a few years ago, it would have been. But my wife and I have matured in our relationship and our, our relationship with the Lord. And to be honest with you, this didn't ruin us. And it's, it, it became like this victory. And by the time we were, all the kids pitched in there and I, I owned my sin. I took responsibility for it. I wasn't going to blame my grandpuppy, you know. <laughs> And we were all laughing about it by the time we laid our heads down. A few years ago, like I'd have been on, I'd been sleeping on that couch for days, okay, as punishment, you know. But we've matured. And, and you know what I've just learned over time in my, in, in, my, in my relationship with my wife, my kids, my job, everybody around me? Joy is a fruit of the Spirit, not a fruit of our circumstance, and Jesus ultimately measures success through our passion, our passion, and our ability to, to sustain that joy and live out that joy in our lives. And then last but not least, our success is measured through our impact on people. People. He says, verse 12, he says, my command is this, love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Success is being loved and respected by those closest to you. That's what Jesus wants from us. I don't, I've got a morbid fantasy to confess to you today. I, I fantasize about my own funeral. Before you laugh, my, my mother passed away when I was 16. My, it was her 40th birthday. With cancer, I've had some of the same uh, digestive issues that she has. I about lived my mother now by eight years. So I think about the end. I know I'm not promised to live forever. I think about the end of my life. And it allows me to begin with the end in mind. And I think to myself, who, 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 would, who would come to my funeral? Would, that, would they take a day off? Would they, would they travel? Would they, would they get on a plane? Who would want to speak? What would they say? Would they have to make something up? You ever been to one of those funerals where you're like, I don't even know the guy they're talking about. I don't want to be that guy. I want to lay my life down for Jesus and people in such a way that I have a lasting legacy with my life. Am I tempted to forget that? That Jesus' mission is as simple as loving him and loving people every day. That's why denying myself every day calls me to get down on my knees and say, Lord, I'm tempted to build my thing and make it about me and my projects and my to-do list and my kingdom. But today, Lord, help me make it about you. Help me stay connected to you. Help me stay connected to people and help me to love them and leave a lasting legacy.
And all of that, my friend, is how Jesus affects our view of success. Would you pray with me? Hey, I don't know where you're at today, but as we close out, maybe you are here and you're new around here today. You're a guest. You don't know what's going on, but you've never had Christianity described to you this way. It's a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you need to invite him into your heart today. Come into a relationship with Jesus. Get connected to the vine. Let him be your savior and your Lord. Just invite him in. Tell him you're sorry for missing the mark. You're sorry for the mistakes you made. Invite Jesus to come into your life. Maybe you're here today as a man or a woman, as a student, and you're like, I've already blown it. That's why I'm so stressed out. That's why I'm so discouraged right now. I've, 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 I've exchanged the world's definition of success for Jesus' definition. Lord, today I want to come back to the simplicity of the gospel, the simplicity of following you, loving you, staying connected to you, and loving people. Lord, that's our call and our aim and our purpose today. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the simplicity of the gospel. Thank you for bringing us back to that simple call of following you and defining success your way. Thank you for setting us free. And I pray today, Lord, he whom the Son sets free would be free indeed. That's our prayer today in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, are you encouraged? Thanks for allowing me to share with you. Northwood Church is one church with multiple locations. Uh, we have locations in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, and we'd love to see you there. If you enjoyed this message and want to get more info on who we are, just head over to northwood.tv. And once you're there, uh, you can check out all of our past sermons, all the things that we're doing in South Mississippi, and uh, even give to support those efforts of reaching more people. Be sure to connect with us on social media and to stay up to date with everything happening around Northwood Church. Thanks for watching and hope to see you soon.